What effect could the extra salt as a result of rising sea levels due to climate change have on our soil and crops? Is the legacy of that salt, is the salt staying in the soil or is the damage it's done staying in the soil? We'll hear from Lincoln Uni, plus two big events last week. Lots of schools had tractors in the playgrounds. And why were so many people at Newark Showground on Wednesday? They're really, really important to their business. And so it's an asset and they would look after an asset so they should look after themselves. Rhonda Thompson talks farm safety, plus we've livestock and grain market reports, and Sean Sparling's back with some timely agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Yes, last week saw a very busy Newark showground to discuss a topic we've considered before on the programme, a topic that's having an ever greater bearing on the minds of farmers, farm safety. The good news is that the number attending the event, well in excess of 400, perhaps indicates that the matter is being taken seriously. NFU County organiser Rhonda Thompson, I bet if you'd held this event 10 years ago, you wouldn't have got a quarter of that. No, definitely not. And and some of our members that are always pushing out safety messages were absolutely blown away by the turnout, as were the showgrounds. Some farmers would go on and register themselves and then they'd bring three or four farm staff along as well, which is what we really wanted. What kind of subjects were the speakers talking about? We had HSC talking about safety on farm, Wilkin Chapman talking about farm accidents and the real cost to a farm business. So we were talking on the financial rather than the emotional aspect there. Western Power Services talking about working with overhead and underground cables, getting out of a farm vehicle if you've actually made contact with a power line, talking about different ways of farming around power lines and also about contacting the utility services because they want to work with farmers to help keep them safe as well. Talking about um, what Western Power was saying, about getting out of vehicles, if you catch an overhead power line, for instance, you kind of think, well, I'll just get out as easily as possible. But it's not quite as straightforward as that, is it? You've got a lot of metal on the tractor. Absolutely. And the minute you touch that tractor and you touch the ground, you're making a conduit for that electrical charge. And and we have had, very sadly, in this county alone, uh, a couple of people killed in that way. So the advice was to open the tractor door, to come down the steps and jump with two feet as far as you can physically and safely jump without trying to do something like an Olympic jump, as he said, because if you jump too far and overbalance yourself, your hands will go down to the soil and you will automatically make a bridge for that electricity Mm. current. And you need to get at least 30 metres from that farm machinery before you're safe from a really massive risk of electrocution. It's great to see so many people attending the event and obviously there's been so much work done by yourselves, by Farm Safety Foundation. Maybe the message is finally getting through that we need to take this seriously. I I think so. I mean, just before the event, Steve, I had been to my Louth office and I picked up a a flyer that said, just because we've always done it this way, and it's a chap on top of some some hay bales and there's a ladder. And and it's like these sort of things, lack of concentration, um, just doing things, even though you know it's risky, they can cause lives. They can also cause serious injury. and, And people's lives are never the same and neither are their families and their friends. So... I think that the messages are getting out there. The statistics, as you know, are really bad. So we have to get the message across that they are one of the most important things about their business. Never mind the family situation, which, of course, they should be. But but you know what I'm trying to say here is they're really, really important to their business. And so it's an asset and they would look after an asset. So they should look after themselves. 
And on that note, perfect way to finish. Rhonda Thompson, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Good work from the NFU and all involved at Newark last week. And, of course, the Farm Safety Foundation is always ready to help or advise. See yellowwellies.org. Over 25 farmers from Crowell to Bourne have taken their tractors into the playgrounds of early years to secondary schools this week. I went to Swinderby All Saints Primary School on Monday, where the children were loving the machinery and were really engaged with the lessons from Langford farmer Amy Everett and her colleagues, plus Edward Stevenson from John Deere. Edward, let's start with you. What have you brought? Along. So we've got a tractor from John Deere, the local dealer Fowler of Lone, and we've got a telescopic handler which is used for manoeuvring bales and straw around, and uh, we've also got uh, a uh, Polaris uh, 4x4. And why are you and John Deere and Farrell involved? My children attend the school here, and uh, Amy and the family who have uh, uh, prepared the day, uh, asked whether I'd pr- be able to support and John Deere and Farrell have uh, been willing to support the day in order to ensure that the kids learn in detail about farming because farming and what farming provides us um, is really important. And Amy, you've just been teaching a class. What have you been talking to the children about? So we like to come in and talk to the children about what farming is, what kind of things we do on the farm. Um, we explain lots of different things because there's so many different aspects to farming. And the kids, they absolutely love it. So they love to get involved. They love the machinery. They love the animals. They love looking at different veg. And it's all about teaching them about food production, where your food comes from, and also what they can do to help the environment as well. And I also think that because farming's such a community thing, it's so nice to then tell everybody this is actually normal for us. Everybody kind of helps each other out, different farms in the area. How important do you think it is for children to understand that the food that they eat at tea time doesn't just come from the supermarket? There's more to it than that. It's so important. That's really the main reason why we do this. It's also nice to teach children how to grow your own food. You get so much out of it when you're doing it yourself. A couple of years ago when we came before um, the pandemic, we planted, uh, I think it was beans and peas, and they loved it, watching them grow, looking after them, and then harvesting them and having them for the tea. It's brilliant. It's great fun for them. And what's the kids' response to all this been? Fantastic. The children absolutely loved it. We loved it. And it's again, it's a community thing. You know, we come in, it's, we give up our time. We're happy to do it. And they just get so much out of it. And they've loved this morning. And I think we've only been doing it an hour, not even that. And it's great. It's great fun. And head teacher Mrs Longstaff, why does the school get involved in tractors into schools? Well, we believe really important for our children to get a wide experience and uh, get a real taste of the outside world and what life can be like. We want to give our children as much exposure as possible to different careers, different options, and to celebrate farming, to celebrate their culture, their heritage, um, and for those children to perhaps get an idea of what they might like to do in the future and how farming um, could for so many jobs and so many roles. And how does this fit in then with everything else that you teach the children? What we want to do at Swinderby is we want to inspire our children. We want to give them that sort of aspiration to do, to be what they want to be. But we can't do that if they don't know what's outside in the world for them. So we look at all areas and this obviously covers our science curriculum, our geography and lots of different other areas. Um, and we're very, very fortunate that we have farming families in our school community who are willing um, to support us in this learning journey and to come and 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 lend their time to inspiring those children and finally rosie crust organizer at lincolnshire showground you must be absolutely delighted what feedback have you had from teachers 
teachers have come back to me and said how, you know, a fantastic um, experience. The children have absolutely loved it. They've said the joy on their faces and the smiles on their faces have just really shown how much they've enjoyed it. I think what's really good this year is that not only has the tractor gone into schools, but the teachers are embedding um, the tractor within their curriculum, particularly through the STEM subjects. And also just the links between the farmer and the school. So one of the reasons why we um, did this originally was to connect the farming community and the school community. In lots of schools where the farmers taking the tractor in are building a relationship with the schools and are now you know, following that up. So going on farm visits, farmers going in throughout the year to talk about agriculture and food production and farming. So the tractor goes in, but then also the learning extending from that has really been established this year, which is just wonderful. Well done to all involved. Let's hope it's back next year. Rosie Crust is available at the showground if you want advice on visits to schools through the year too. To agronomy advice now with Sean Sparling. Great to see tractors into schools back, eh, Sean? Good morning. Yes, good morning, Steve. Great to get into schools, I think, um, and show what we do and how we do it. From the horse's mouth, as it were. No offence taken to anyone who may think they bear any remotely passing resemblance to a horse. I think one has to place that caveat on that statement, doesn't one? Bound to have upset someone there, I suppose. But then again, with all that's going on in the world at Russia and Ukraine at the minute, just get over it if you were offended. So, March uh, came in a bit of a lion then. Wet and windy for me, so hopefully it's going to go out like a lamb so we've got that to look forward to mind you we're only five days in and already we've had fog wind rain sunshine snow march many weathers it most definitely is already soil temperatures falling down to below five quite widely so things slowing down again manganese applications to cereals doing very little to perk them up even after about 10 days since application and that just illustrates how slowly these plants are actually growing inside and that leads on nicely to the thorny subject of nutrition thorny both from the point of view of cost and also availability of these products the books are open the books are shut the books are open the books are shut pick a number and see if farmers will pay it and that seems to be the current situation regarding phosphate and potash Um, my advice really is to just have a look at your soil indices and prioritize those problem areas of field we know that around 95 percent of applied phosphate is unlikely to be used by that particular crop we have availability issues from phosphate reversion where the phosphate reverts to an insoluble form almost as soon as it hits the floor we've got availability issues and many more issues with phosphate so don't just assume that if it's index one it's going to be worse availability of phosphate than in index three phosphate doesn't quite work like that now we often see as much available phosphate at index zero as we do at index five so you know your fields better than i do if you've never seen phosphate deficiency on the leaf and if your crops always get away remember phosphate is integral for rooting then make the call if you can't get it or you can't afford to get it then there's the call already made for you but generally not applying phosphorus to cereals is less crucial than not applying potash to cereals potash deficiency um, getting worse out there in cereal crops generally i think across the county magnesium locks potash up so if you've got a two to one ratio of magnesium to potash in that order it's going to lock that potash up in cereals in particular also many crops are big users of potash if you take a four ton per acre crop yield of wheat where the straws removed you're taking between 80 and 100 kilograms of potash off the field so if you've been seeing potash deficiency if you've been seeing shriveled grains at harvest in particular for example if your potash levels are less than two or if the magnesium to potash ratio is two to one 
in favour of uh, the magnesium or worse, then try again to prioritise those particular fields. You can't really cut back on potatoes or sugar beet when it comes to a lot of these nutrients. Sugar beet, obviously, we can do a certain amount to replace potash with sodium, salt, to offset those lower potash doses. Look, just speak to your advisor and spend some time discussing these uh, nutrient issues, again, with your indices, and just work out where you need to spend and where you could potentially get away with it for a year. Hopefully these high prices won't last forever and we'll be back somewhere near normal, whatever normal is with prices next year. But for this year, I think knowledge of your fields will save you some money. So that leads us to nitrogen then. Oilseed rape, I would say yes, go out and get your first dose on. Remember, it takes about four to five weeks for the sulfur part of your nitrogen sulfur mix to actually get into the plant. It has to go in through the root and that sulphur needs to be there when these crops start to hit uh, stem extension. Late wheats, backward wheats, seed beds of spring wheat, spring barley, probably yes, as long as the conditions allow. Forward wheat with 10 tillers or so, probably not yet. You don't want any more tillers, you know, and it's very wet under there with soils less than five degrees. You're going to lose some of that white gold to leaching, and that really is what ammonium nitrate fertilisers are at the moment. It's cold enough for urea, so if you've got some of that... But if you cost it out, gram for gram, kilogram for kilogram, the nitrogen is very, very expensive, so spend it wisely. Best advice probably to cut back on that first dose of nitrogen. Get back to about 40 kilos of nitrogen if you do need to go, rather than applying 70 or 80 kilos to minimise the cost of any losses from leaching, etc. But that said, I'm fairly certain you'll do what you want to do anyway and you won't listen to what I'm saying. So, oilseed rape then. Moving now, already too late for Corvetto in some of my seed rape crops where the cutoff is when you can look down into the top of the canopy and you can see the, the buds. I told you it's going to be tricky to time things this spring. You can't use Corvetto until the 1st of March and it was too late in several of my fields by the 25th of February. Shield obviously you can go a little bit later, the same with Clopic when the buds are beginning to think about rising above the canopy so a little time for that yet. And Clopic, you know, it's getting plenty late enough once you start to see those buds rising so again keep in touch with your advisor and don't forget there's a three-year restriction on following crops with clopic so just have a word with your advisor and make sure it fits in with your rotation talking about restrictions of course we have a 32 month restriction on all flowering crops except spuds really after drilling neonicotinoid treated sugar beet seed which thank goodness we have access to thanks to the derogation this year after such a mild winter because to be quite honest with you without it and without beet growers getting upwards of £100 a tonne or more for growing sugar beet, if we get another year like 2020, the devastation likely from beet yellows virus complex it just makes beet impossible to grow without that neonicotinoid derogation unless we get one of those hard winters, um, which as we said a couple of weeks ago, we've only seen four of since 1965 and they're also saying the flight of the aphids is going to be the 19th of April or thereabout, which is very very early, but looking at the likely seed delivery dates and the current soil conditions out there the 19th of april looks like aphids are going to be about as the beet begins to emerge so happy days um cereals then too soon to get fungicides on yet just hold your nerve keep your powder dry and let's see how much that advice changes in the next seven days shall we many thanks to you sean much has been said about climate change and the likelihood of rising sea levels in lincolnshire we're obviously highly likely to be affected when that time comes and not just from the loss of land to the sea 
What else could be affected? Well, Lincoln University are looking into this. Good morning to Senior Lecturer in Soil Science, Dr Ian Gould. Ian, rising sea levels equals rising salt levels in irrigation channels and in the soil. Your study mentions potatoes as a crop most likely to be affected. Yeah, potentially, because in the nature of our farming, we grow a lot of potatoes in these low-lying areas that tend to be slightly drier in terms of overall rainfall. And we do look to use irrigation for control of, of pests, diseases like common scab. So in, in certainly South Lincolnshire, it's generally a crop we need to irrigate. But it also tends to be grown in areas where the water, the subsurface water where we used to get our irrigation water from, or we still do, is getting slowly more salty. And so we're going to be potentially faced with a, with an issue in a few years of the irrigation water in these areas is increasingly saline and we need to be ahead of the game and think well let's see what we can do with that saline water let's see if we can kind of expose our soils a little bit in advance is there a way of adapting to it um so potatoes are, are probably the big crop for us for looking at it just in terms of where we are and is it just potatoes that are likely to be affected or other crops too if we irrigate a crop like potatoes obviously the next year that field will then go into perhaps another crop in a rotation where we might not irrigate, so wheat. And what we really want to pick up with this project is whether we've done any long-term damage to the soils. So in the following crop, from the irrigated crop, where we have been maybe increasing salt levels, is there like a legacy in that soil? Is the salt going to hang around and impact on the soil health? Um, and it can impact on what's living in the soil or how the soil structures. Is it staying in the soil or is it just affecting that crop for this year that's been irrigated? Yes, yeah, spot on. Is the legacy of that salt, is the salt staying in the soil or is the damage it's done staying in the soil? How will you actually be carrying out this work? It's a three-year project and the first couple of years we've got some pot trials at our Rise Home campus. So we've got three different soil types and we are looking at how we can irrigate those soils in advance just to see how it impacts on the soil biological community. So in that third year we use the knowledge from the pots, put it in the real world and, and go out and use real farmers' fields if they'll let us put a bit of salt on. Okay, so farmers not involved just yet? We're keeping them in, in the loop. We do the risky stuff at Rise Home where we can control it all. And if we find it's not going to really damage the soils, let's see what we can put out in the in the real fields. Ian, is this something that's imminent or are we looking ahead a good while? It's kind of a future challenge. So when you think of salinity in soils, immediately you'd, you'd think of probably hotter climates, um, which is where we have a lot of a hotter climate and a lot of evaporation salts at the surface. But increasingly with sea level rises, not just with this irrigation problem, but of course with overtopping. And we saw that in the 2013 floods with some devastating salt inundation of farmland. We're starting to increasingly look at how this salt water is going to get into our agricultural land and and the key thing really is, particularly where we are, is this is really high value, really productive soils. And, and we really don't want to compromise our ability to grow food in these areas. Fascinating stuff. We'll watch with interest. Thanks to Senior Lecturer in Soil Sciences at Lincoln University, Dr Ian Gould. Time for our weekly market reports now, starting with livestock from Louth. Good morning, auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday, the 28th of February. Starting with the prime cattle and the heifers, see a high for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe at 259 pence per kilo and gross £1,448 for JS Brooks of Strubby. While the steers topped at 238 pence per kilo and gross £1,448 for JS Brooks of Strubby also. Heifers all in average 244 pence per kilo, while steers all in average 229 pence per kilo. On to the cool cows and just Lincoln Red cool cows on offer this week. Saw a top of 166 pence per kilo and grossing £1,050 for R. Ray and Son of Harmston. 
Moving on to the sheep and starting with the prime hogs, which see an SQQ average of 248.91 pence per kilo. Very similar to last week on the trade front. However, the fitter, more meated end of the hogs remaining easiest to place with those in spec 38 to 45 kilos most in demand. Top this week came for C. Norwood of Waynefleet St. Mary at £136 per head, while a pence per kilo was topped by locals H. Smith & Sons of Theddlethorpe at 310 pence per kilo. On to the cool use, and for the first week ever, we decided to run the cool use through the ring, and a similar number forward met with a trade that would be some £50 a head dearer this week, with a fantastic show of views, seeing a high for ANN Spillman of Freethorpe at £211 per head, to leave an all-in average of £148.46. Finally, store hogs and just a handful and offer saw two pens from S Cooling, a market raise and top at £82 to leave an all-in average of £82 per head also. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And how have the grain markets fared over the last turbulent week? Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Good morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Russia's invasion of the Ukraine has propelled seabot wheat prices to their highest level since 2008. The invasion coincided almost on cue with the closing of the Winter Olympics ceremony in Beijing, but not before China had announced their grain trade deal with Russia. Implications are huge for both old and new crop. There is still about 15 million metric tonnes of Black Sea wheat and 15 million metric tonnes of Ukrainian maize unshipped on old crop, with exports facilities either damaged or closed. Shippers will be looking to source this from elsewhere or claim force majeure. This shifts demand to other origins, including the EU and the US, and potentially to India and Argentina. It is unclear whether logistics and infrastructure would support large volume exports out of India, whilst Argentina are in drought and experiencing low water on the Panorama River, which will restrict vessel sizes. New crop spring wheat and maize plantings in the Black Sea are threatened by a lack of manpower, as the Ukraine has called all males between the age of 18 to 30 to arms. Added to the lack of availability of fuel, seed and fertiliser. There will also be damage to Ukrainian winter crops and infrastructure caused by the ongoing conflict. It is now imperative that there are no major new crop weather issues, whether you consider that Russia and the Ukraine provides 30% of the world's wheat and the Ukraine is the fourth largest maize exporter of 33 million metric tonnes. To date, weather has not been ideal for Brazil and Argentinian maize crops and the dryness in the US plains is a concern for wheat crops. Dryness in North Africa, the Middle East and the Balkans will also need to be monitored. So moving forward to old crop barley markets, they are unchanged this week, but with more wet weather in the last week, spring malting barley plantings are still only 10 to 15% in most areas of the UK. But on the plus side, forward malting barley prices have at least reacted to the increase in new crop wheat prices following the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Malting prices have now increased by some 10 to £15 depending on your area. So if you have been able to plant some malting barley, a percentage of this could be sold at these forward prices, which are at historic highs for the time of year. Oilseed rope this week. Russia's attack on the Ukraine is expected to halt the processing and export of Ukrainian oilseed crops for at least one month, curbing flows of sunflower seed to the European Union. Ukraine has suffered damage to its ports and other export facilities, as I mentioned earlier, 
while Western sanctions have hit Russian supplies, raising concerns over long-term supply disruptions. More widely, global commodity prices have charged higher with strong gains in oil, grains, edible oils and metals after Russia put its nuclear deterrent on high alert and Western nations imposed new sanctions on Russia, including blocking some Russian banks from global payment systems. Brazil's 2021-2022 soybean crop forecast has been cut by 4% to 121 million tonnes due to a drought that has hurt farms in the south. China bought soybeans from the United States on Tuesday as American cargoes were competitive against Brazilian shipments, despite it being the peak period for the South American soy export. So moving forward to prices this week... March feed wheat X the farm 260 to 268, May 268 to 275. With the volatility in the markets, please speak to your open field farm business manager for all new crop prices going forward. Milling wheat premiums are circa £45 a tonne. Feed barley for March 225 to 232, May 232 to 237. Currently, no malting premiums available for old crop. And lastly, all seed rape, £660 to £665 for March and May, £663 to £668. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A drier start to the week with light northeasterly winds keeping temperatures to around 8 Celsius under mostly clear skies. Expect overnight frosts Sunday, Monday and Tuesday nights. The wind moves more easterly for the rest of the week, staying in the mid-teens MPH, picking up into the 20s and turning southeasterly and gusty by Friday. Mostly clear skies all week, daytime highs of 7 or 8, but expect some heavy rain by the end of the week. Well, that's your lot for this week. A reminder that we're available on podcast, the Lynx FM app and smart speaker. Just ask it to play the farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next time, have a good week.